Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. So my plan for this week um, was to talk to you guys about how hilarious the book of Jonah is. That was my plan. And I'd been talking it through with a few guys and wrestling with it, and I was kind of starting to form what I wanted to talk about. And then as I was praying towards the end of last week, I felt God say, no, you're not going to talk about Jonah. You're going to talk about Rahab instead. So all my ideas went out the window, and today we are talking about Rahab instead. So we're going to be basing in the book of Joshua this morning in uh, chapter 2. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get stuck in with the scripture. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the instruction that we can take from it. I thank you that it is living and breathing, that it's alive, that as we read it, you speak to us. Lord, I pray that as we delve into your word this morning, you speak to each one of us and you meet us where we're at, just how you are so good at doing. Amen. So before we read Joshua chapter 2, Oh, got my bit sorted. Um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of context as to where this story fits in the kind of overall narrative of the Bible. So Moses has led the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're about to go into the promised land. God has said, this land over here is for you, and they're ready to go into the promised land. And Moses decides to send 12 spies into the promised land and they go off and they see what the lay of the land is like and 10 of them come back and say the land is great but the people there are massive and we're never we can't do it we can't do it and only two of the spies come back one guy called Joshua and a guy called Caleb and they say we can surely do it but Moses decides to listen to the 10 spies who say they can't do it and so off they go into the wilderness and they're wandering for about 40 years in the wilderness And then that's kind of where we pick up this story. At the end of that time, Moses has died, and Joshua, the one with the good report, or one of the two, is appointed as leader of the Israelites. And God speaks to him and says, now is the time, now is when you're going to go and take this promised land. And so he's rallying the troops, and he's getting ready to find out what he needs to do. And so Joshua sends two spies into the promised land, specifically to the city of Jericho. And, um, ooh, Um, particularly to the city of Jericho. And um, and that's why we pick up this story. So reading from Joshua chapter 2, from verse 1, it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. I just want to pause here for a second. So we don't know at this point after reading those kind of three and a half verses, we don't know why Rahab has chosen to hide these spies. If we look on the face of it, it seems like quite a strange thing to do. Rahab is not an Israelite. She is living in the city that the Israelites are about to come and take over and ultimately destroy. She's the enemy at this point. So it seems like a really strange thing to do to hide these men. Um, And we find out later she explains why it is that she's done that. But at the moment, we don't know why that is. But one thing that we do know at this point is that hiding men is probably a skill of Rahab's. Um, and for, yeah, I won't go into why, but, um, 
but she um, she's probably very good at it and it's something that she has learned through experiences and moments of brokenness and probably shame and disappointment but it's something that she is able to do and at this moment in time God needs someone to hide these two men and she, he puts in their path Rahab and she is able to hide them and she takes them and she hides them on the roof and God is using Rahab in this moment not just in spite of her brokenness, but actually because of it, because of something that she has learned through a period of brokenness. And God can use us as well, not just in, not just be in spite of our brokenness, but because of it. And our brokenness might look very different to Rahab's, but he can still use us. We can still learn things through those times of brokenness that God can use. It might be that um, you have maybe a chronic health problem that for you feels like brokenness, but it means that when you speak to someone else who's experiencing a similar thing, you can talk to them and relate to them in a way that other people just don't understand. They just can't get it. And you can speak about God to that situation in a way that other people just can't. It might be that you've suffered a huge loss, that you've experienced real grief And it means that you can speak to people who are going through something similar in a way that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And again, you can speak God into that situation in a way that people who haven't been through something like that just can't do. Not through any fault of their own, but they just can't. And you can, and you may be placed in the path of someone, like Rahab was placed in the path of these two spies, to speak God into that situation. It might be that you've experienced a really broken relationship of some sort. And it means that when you see someone who is also in a broken relationship, who maybe hasn't even voiced it, who maybe other people don't even know, you see it because you know what that looks like. And it might be that you're able to help that person out before anyone else would even be able to, before they've even spoken it out themselves. But when we're in the brokenness, when we're in the middle of it, I mean, God used Rahab right in the middle of her brokenness. When we're in the middle of the brokenness, sometimes all we can see is that brokenness. And people, although well-meaning, sometimes say some things that aren't very helpful when we're in the middle of the brokenness. And I'm sure I've done this to many people in the middle of their brokenness. But something that people will often say when people are in a time of brokenness is that in all things, God works for the good of those who love them according to his purpose hear that quite a lot and it might be unhelpful in a time of brokenness to hear something like that it might be unhelpful many years later but it doesn't mean that it isn't true and in a period of brokenness and after a period of brokenness God can use that and we see that here with Rahab we see her right in the middle of her brokenness and God uses that for good for the good of those who love him and we one day might have a story from our brokenness that is like Rahab's, that is, you know, I went through this thing, I was broken, but I was put in the path of someone and God was able to use it for good. And this kind of encapsulates the story of Rahab, really, that she uh, is someone who is broken, someone who is unlikely, someone who isn't even an Israelite, and yet God uses her for his glory. So I'm going to carry on reading. Oh, dropped something there. One sec. Also, singing as loud as was physically possible has kind of caused me some issues, but never mind. So carrying on from verse four. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come, where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You might catch up with them. 
Now this that she's saying here is obviously a lie, but we'll come back to that in a bit. Um, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, we're about to find out why it is that she, that she hid them. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, when you, uh, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So we're going to pause here for a while because there's a few things that I want to talk about just from those last six verses or so. So the first thing that Rahab says when she goes up to, um, she goes up to the spies there on the roof and she says, the first thing she says is, I know that the Lord your God has given you this land. And you'll see, I don't know if on the screen I did it. Oh, see, Lord there should be all in capitals. Sorry, I've copied that from somewhere it isn't. But it's in your, if you've got a Bible in front of you, it's likely all in capitals. And what that means when you see in the Old Testament, Lord, all in capitals, it is the first name of God, effectively. So it's specifically the Lord, our God, the God of the Bible that she's talking about. And she's saying, the Lord has given you this land. This God that isn't her God, but she believes that he's given the land. And the people she's saying this to are people who've been wandering the wilderness for a long time, waiting to go into the promised land, hearing over and over that they're going to this promised land. And they may not have always believed that that's where they were going and that that would ultimately happen. But this lady who we've just talked about is an enemy. She is on the other side and she is speaking and saying, I know that the Lord, your God, has given you this land. She is the enemy and she knows what God has given these people. And for us, God has given us some land. And the enemy knows that God has given us that land. And I think we could sometimes be a little bit shocked to know that the enemy knows that more than we do. The enemy knows that God has given us that land and the land might not for us look like a physical patch of land. It might look like restoration in a relationship or in a health situation or breakthrough from a financial situation or freedom from addiction. It could look like anything. But I want you to know that the Lord your God has given you that land. If the enemy knows it, we need to know it. Because we can't have the enemy knowing more about the victory that we have than we know about the victory that we have. The victory that Jesus has bought for us, we need to know that. We need to have full faith and confidence in that because we can't have the enemy having more faith in what God can do than we have. And here is Rahab. She's the enemy and she's speaking and saying, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She recognizes the victory that God is going to give these people, but she also recognizes God. We read from verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. 
Rahab had heard a testimony of who God was. She'd heard these stories of what God had done and it changed her perspective and her understanding of who this God was. She came to realize that God, the God of the Israelites, our God, is God of heaven above and of earth below because of the stories that she's heard of what God can do and what God has done. And this really challenged me, really. It made me think afresh about the power of testimony to change people's perspectives and ultimately to change people's eternal destiny. And if I think back to when I was kind of thinking about faith and when I was deciding about what I thought about God and the things that really convinced me of God's involvement in our day-to-day lives rather than God just being something out there. It's very easy, isn't it, to think of God and a lot of people do are quite comfortable speaking about God as a conceptual out there kind of being but as soon as we bring that down to the day-to-day and as soon as we mention Jesus then we start to talk about what that actually means it can become a lot more difficult and the things that help me change my understanding of God from maybe there is something out there to Jesus died on the cross for me and wants to have a day-to-day relationship with me the things that convinced me of that were stories of testimonies that people brought and they weren't necessarily massive things either I remember going and hearing a preach and someone spoke about how God provided something for them in a time of need I remember um, when Don was a Christian and I wasn't yet and he was telling me that he um, I don't know if you remember this it was the day before his driving test and he was worried about it and he opened up the Bible and he read from Matthew where it says about how do not worry about tomorrow today has enough worries of his own and I remember thinking that is like the chances of opening the page on that one and reading that that is just mind-blowing but stories like that I remember hearing stories of people seeing legs growing in front of their eyes and all sorts of things like that and it just made me think wow this God is real this God is interested in our day-to-day it changed my perspective and I think sometimes we can lose Um, we can kind of forget how important that is. There's just little stories. Um, Liv mentioned earlier that we had some guys from Battelle here last week and they both told incredible stories of how God had pulled them out from the pits of despair, had broken chains of addiction, had started to restore relationships with families, had done incredible things and those stories are so powerful to hear and they really encourage us and inspire us and remind us of the power of God to transform a life. But sometimes when we hear a story like that, we think that that means our story isn't, it's not as dramatic, so therefore it's not as impactful. Whereas actually, your story could be that you were brought up through church and at an early age, you decided for yourself that Jesus was your Lord and Saviour. That could be your story. And it is just as powerful because the power, the salvation power of Jesus in your story is just as powerful as the salvation power of Jesus in anyone else's story. And it's actually, like I mentioned, those little stories day to day of what God is doing in our lives that can really help people to understand a God that cares about them. But in order for us to, for order, for, try all that again, in order for people to understand these little stories, we actually have to tell people them. We have to be bold enough to say to someone, this is what God's doing in my life this week. This is what God has brought me through this week. I prayed for this thing and it has happened. Let me pray for you. And when God answers my prayer for you, we will give him the glory. It's those kind of things. It's speaking just little bits. It's it being part of our normal day to day. The idea that we can just speak about what God does for us. And that is what can change people's perspective on having an impersonal God down to having a relationship with Jesus and seeing what that really means. 
And sometimes these stories will be massive Red Sea moments. Like when Rahab's talking there, I've seen that you... Um, I've, I, we've heard that the Lord your God has dried up the Red Sea. It might be stories like that, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is much smaller stuff, but it has a power. As you tell these stories, they weave together a narrative of who God is, of his mercy and his grace and his goodness. But we have to share them. And we have to believe that sharing these things can impact people's eternal destiny. Now, many of us may have been on the receiving end of a testimony that has changed our lives. And we read that in Rahab. She's saying here, I know your God does all these things. Uh, and so I'm going to believe it. I'm going to do something about it. She makes a decision to respond to this new belief that she has that God, that our God is the God of heavens above and the earth below. She makes a decision that she's going to respond. And we see her do that. We see her take the first opportunity that presents itself to her. When these spies come to her, like the Blues Brothers on a mission from God, she says, let me do something to help you. I'm going to hide you in my house so that people don't know who you are. She takes the opportunity with both hands. But we also read about how she messes it up a little bit. Because when the king's messenger comes to her and says, have you seen these men? She says, nope, never seen them. Actually, I did see them, but I think they've gone out now. They're definitely not in my house, that's for sure. Like she just lies to them. And that is maybe not, well, it's definitely not the way to have gone about it. It's just because we read um, Rahab doing this kind of thing. It doesn't justify to us that, you know, in some cases it's okay to tell a lie because she was trying to serve God. We can't use the scripture in that way because Rahab, just like everyone else we read about, apart from Jesus in the Bible, was not a perfect person. And so we can't use it to justify that, but we can learn from it. We can learn from this way that she is so excited to serve God. She, like I say, she grabs this opportunity with both hands and she says, I'm going to take this opportunity to serve God, but I don't really know what I'm doing or how I'm doing it yet. Because if we think about Rahab, she's been living in Jericho. She's not been living with the Israelites. She doesn't know, she knows of God. She's heard stories of God, but she doesn't know God. She doesn't know about the Ten Commandments. She doesn't know how she should be living. She's just doing her best with the information that she has to serve a God that she's suddenly become aware of. And we can learn a lot from that. We can learn, I'm going to say two things specifically. There are a lot of other things, I'm sure. The first thing is that when we have a revelation of who God is, it should stir us to action. It should stir us to want to do something. It should mean that when opportunities come our way to serve him, that we grab them and that we're excited about them and that we go for it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that any opportunity that comes our way, we just say yes, yes, yes to everything, because that is not good for us. It's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want us just kind of split in many directions. But what it does mean is having an ear to heaven for those opportunities that are actually for us. Like I said, when these men came to Rahab, Rahab was put in that position ready for this mission that God had for her. And we need to be listening to God and hearing when things come our way, when things, when we're put in the path of things, is this thing for us? And if it is, we should grab it with both hands and we should be excited about wanting to do things to serve, to serve God. And that could be anything. It could be when we think about serving, often we think about serving within church, being on a team, and that is definitely part of it. But it's also um, meeting people for a coffee. It's about praying for people. It's about uh, knowing that your next door neighbor maybe is struggling and taking some food around for them. It's all sorts of stuff. It's not just confined to this building here on a Sunday. It is us being the church and serving God in every area that we're placed. It's knowing that on a Monday morning, our 
our responsibility and our opportunity to serve God is as poignant there as it is on a Sunday when we're gathered. And Rahab takes this opportunity and she messes up. And this is where we can learn something else because I think sometimes when, when we mess up, we think... <coughs> Sorry. When we mess up, we think, oh, well, I tried my best and I didn't really know any better. And um, I did what I could and my heart was right. I was trying to serve God, but I have messed up. But oftentimes when we see, and I'm speaking, I'm speaking from myself here as well, um, is sometimes if we see someone else do something that is the same situation, but it's just them doing the thing and messing up a little bit, we don't have as much grace for them as we maybe do for ourselves. We think, well, Rahab... She might have done something good, but she lied. Like, is no one noticing that? Like, why are we saying that she's so great? She's just lied here. Whereas actually what we should be doing is saying, yes, she tried, to, she tried so hard and she's going to get better and she's going to learn and she's going to... We find out that she goes and lives with the Israelites in the end and she's going to learn about who God is and she's going to be better and she's on a journey. And this is her first time trying to serve God and isn't she doing so well? And that is how God sees us. When we are trying so hard to serve him and we're messing up, God isn't looking at us and saying, oh, that's a real shame that you did that really badly. God is saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for taking the opportunity that I've put in your path. Thank you for loving me enough to do the things I'm asking you to do. That is what God sees. He sees the heart of us. Thank you, Lord, that you see the heart of us. Because... Because he does. And if we're people who are wanting to be after God's own heart, we need to see the heart in other people as well when they're trying to serve God. And that doesn't mean that we leave them where they are. It doesn't mean that we condone, like in Rahab's story, we don't condone the lying. But what we do is we show and we encourage and we teach and we disciple and we bring alongside and we say, you know what, it was so good that you tried to do that. Next time, how about we do this as well? Wouldn't that be great? It's bringing people along on a journey rather than allowing them to stay where they are. Yeah. And I think that's so important. That really kind of shone out to me in Rahab's story that we see, we see the good in Rahab and we should see the good in Rahab. But do we see the good in others when they're trying to serve, when they're trying to serve God? And that's kind of where we see the end of Rahab, really, in this story. So she, um, she's hidden the spies and she sends them back on their way. But before she does that, she makes a deal with them. And she says, if I keep really quiet about what you're doing, if I don't tell anyone that you've been in my house and I've hidden you, um, when you come back to take the city, can you please save me and my whole family? And she makes a deal with the Israelites the two spies and they agree and they go off and then the story cuts back to Joshua back in the camp outside of Jericho and God's telling him about how they're going to take the city and they're going to walk around the wall seven times and we read all about that and as the walls fall Joshua says to these spies go back into the city because there's a lady there that you've made a promise to and I want you to bring her and her whole family out of the city to safety before we go back in and destroy it and so that's what they do they go in and they get Rahab and they bring her out along with her whole family and I found this a real encouragement as well this idea that it was just Rahab's actions Rahab hid these spies in her house but as a consequence her entire family was saved we read about how the whole city of Jericho was destroyed completely apart from her family and this was a real encouragement to me to think that the things that I do the things that each one of us does as an individual they don't just affect our like life we're not living in a little tube it doesn't just affect us it affects the people around us as well when we are 
doing things that God has called us to do, and we're obedient to the call of God, whether that is a huge calling, a very specific calling, or just the call to love uh, our neighbours as ourselves and to love God, when we are doing that, that has repercussions for the people around us. It means that it's not just us that is impacted, but our whole families, our friends, our work colleagues, because it wasn't just Rahab that they went and got out of this house, it was her whole family. And I find this a real encouragement that as we love people, as we show them kind of outwardly and physically the love of God, our prayer is that they will see a glimpse of Jesus in that and that they will come to know who God is through what we're doing. And I just love little stories like this in the Bible that just indicate towards that, the idea that we are all... Well, none of us, no man is an island, as they say. I don't know who says that, but it's a thing. Um, no man is an island, and we're all connected. And I just love that. I just love that. And so that's kind of all we hear about from Rahab in the Old Testament. Um, but then she does crop up again in the New Testament a couple of times. Actually, in the very first chapter of the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And what is happening here is Matthew, who wrote Matthew's Gospel, is... Um, talking through the family tree of Jesus and he starts at Abraham and he's running through all of Jesus' descendants and in verse 5 he says Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab we hear Rahab we hear this lady who was a prostitute who lied in her attempts to serve God being able to be part of the family of God which I just think is astounding that this lady, she recognized who God was, she responded to him and she was allowed to be part of Jesus's family. And this is an exact mirror of what God does for us. When we recognize who he is and we respond to that and we say, God, you are God of the heavens above and the earth below. You are, um, you are my Lord and savior. We are allowed to be part of Jesus's family. And I just love that. I just love that. We read about Rahab twice more as well in the New Testament. We read about her in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is often affectionately referred to as the hall of faith. And it goes through a load of Old Testament characters. And it says about Moses. It says about Joseph, Jacob, loads of people that you would kind of expect as the Old Testament heroes. And it says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who are disobedient. Rahab was honored in this position. The writer of the Hebrews has included her in this hall of faith with these incredible Old Testament characters. And then we read in James as well. James writes a letter to the church in Jerusalem. And in chapter 2, verse 25, he says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And I just think it's amazing that this lady is being honoured. But what I also noticed is that both in Hebrews and in James, Rahab is referred to as Rahab the prostitute. Even after all that Rahab has done, even after the fact that she gave spies to the, no, lodging to the spies, even after she went and lived with the Israelites, that she was the mother of Boaz, who we hear about in the Old Testament, that she was part of Jesus's family line, but she's still referred to there twice as Rahab the prostitute. And it's not that it's untrue, is it? Rahab, that is what she was. But it's difficult to read and see there that, that even after all this time, that is still what is kind of stuck to her. But what I think is incredible is that isn't what God sees of her. God doesn't look at her and call her Rahab the prostitute. We read there that she's counted as righteous and that she is faithful, that she's not Rahab the prostitute. She is Rahab the faithful and Rahab the righteous. 
And it might be that you have a label stuck to you that has some truth in it. It might be that you have been labeled as a liar or a gossip or an overthinker or uh, overenthusiastic or any, it could be anything that is stuck to you. And it's not that it's untrue. It's just that it won't unstick. But let me encourage you that that is not how God sees you because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When God looks at you, he looks at you through Jesus. It says in Colossians chapter three, verse three, that our lives are hidden in Christ, that when God looks at us, it's almost like we're hidden behind Christ. He sees Christ first. He doesn't see us as a liar. He doesn't see us as a gossip or um, lazy or ignorant or any of these things that we may, there may be truth in it, but God doesn't see us as that. He sees us as righteous and holy and set apart and a royal priesthood because of what Jesus has done. And I think that's such an encouragement to us that that we can not worry about these labels. And it's not that it gives us an excuse to exhibit those behaviors, but it is an encouragement that in spite of those things, in spite of the way that we might fail, in spite of the way that other people might continue to see us, no matter how far we've come, God sees us as righteous and faithful. Now, God didn't wait for Rahab to stop being a prostitute before he used her. He used her right in the middle of all that. And that is because something we sometimes get confused about, but that we need to remember is that the love of God and his purposes and his plans for us are not a reward for change. God doesn't look on us and say, when you get these things sorted out, when you get these ducks in a row, then I will love you. Then I will have a plan and a purpose for you. God doesn't do that. God looks at us and he says, I love you regardless of all those things. I love you in spite of all these things. And it means that God's love for us is not a reward for change, but it is a reason for it. It's we, when we realize that we are so undeserving of the love of God, when we realize how he sees us, despite knowing ourselves better than anyone else does, despite knowing what is in us, the thoughts that we have, the behaviors that we have, knowing that a righteous and holy God looks on us and says, I love you regardless of all those things. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. Regardless of those things, we realize that we want to change and we need to change, not because God's love is a reward, but because it inspires us and it encourages and it gives us a reason to change. And I just love that. Because I am, when I, like, like I say, I know myself, I know my flaws and my insides. And from, from a holy God, I should be unlovable. But that's not what our God is about. Our God is love. It's not that just that he loves, he is love. He looks on us and he says, he looks on us and he loves us regardless in spite of these things and I just think that's astounding and it just encourages me to be a better version of me to be more and more Christ-like each day because I want to be the kind of person that God looks at and can love even though he does love anyway does that make sense I feel like I'm just kind of going around a little bit (laughs) but I just love that in this story of Rahab we see someone who is so unlikely being used for God's purposes. And we see this again and again and again through the Old Testament. But I just felt that God was asking me to speak about Rahab this morning and about her story. 
And we've learned a lot through it. We've learned about how God can use us, not just, in, because, not just in spite of our brokenness, but because of it. We have learned that we have a victory in Jesus that we need to know more about than the enemy does. We, have, we can learn from Rahab the power of testimony to change your perspective and how when a perspective is changed on God, it should encourage us to respond and to extend grace to those who are also trying to respond. It encourages us that there is a ripple effect to our actions and also that the labels that the world puts on us pale into insignificance with the labels that God puts on us, the labels of being righteous and faithful. So it might be that this morning, as I've been speaking, that you have recognized who Jesus is and you want to respond, just like Rahab responded. And um, we give space for this every week on a Sunday to respond to who Jesus is. And what we're going to do is um, we're going to pray a prayer together. There's a prayer that will come up on the screen and we're going to pray this together. And um, after we've done that, I'm going to invite everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And if you've prayed this for the first time today, I'd like you to just raise your hands. So we're going to read through this together this morning. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.